dismissed. Uh, follow Miss Sandy downstairs. For all the rest of you, if you brought your Bibles this morning, and I hope that you have, turn with me to Judges, the book of Judges, the 13th chapter of the book of Judges, <coughs> excuse me, Judges, way back there in the Old Testament, Judges chapter 13, and let's read the last two verses in the chapter, and then we'll go to the Lord together in a word of prayer. Judges chapter 13, verse 24 says, and the woman bare a son, and called his name Samson. And the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times into the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eston. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just humbly come before you one more time this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the good day and for the many blessings. Thank you for the opportunity you've given us here to gather here this morning to to worship you together, to fellowship together, to lift our voices up, to, to hear your word preached this morning. We thank you, Lord, for each one who has come our way here this morning. Thank you for each one who's sacrificed and each one who's uh, just put you first, put you above everything else. Lord, we just pray that you'd bless them in a special way. And we pray, Lord, as we go forward here in this service this morning, that you would just move in a mighty way. God, that you'd stir our hearts here this morning. God, that you'd knit us together, Lord, and we'd be knit together with you. Lord, I pray and it would be in love. I pray here this morning, Lord, that you would just move in a mighty way in our midst. God, your presence, your spirit would be felt and would be known here. Everyone would be able to leave here this morning saying it's been good to be in the house of God, knowing and recognizing your presence and your blessings here this morning. It's, Lord, I know that you're the searcher of hearts. I know there's not anything that you don't see, anything that you don't know. Uh, Lord, there's nothing hidden from you. And so, Lord, I just pray here this morning, Lord, that you would meet every need that is amongst us. Lord, I, I don't know all of our needs, and even if I did, I couldn't meet them, but you can. And so, Lord, that's our prayer this morning. For those that need to be encouraged and lifted up, God, that's what I'm asking. For those that need healing touch from you, Lord, we know you're the great physician. That's what I'm asking for this morning. For those here amongst us this morning that's maybe uh, let sin come into their life. For those that have let something come in that is uh, causing them problems that's got between you and them. I pray, Lord, that you convict them of it. Lord, and they repent of it. And get it out of the way before it's everlasting too late. Lord, I pray that they would realize this morning that there's nothing... Nothing that this world has to offer that's more important than their relationship with you, their walk with you. And sin hinders that. Sin blocks that. Sin gets in the way of that. So Lord, I'm just asking for you to do what only you can do here this morning in this service, and we'll give you the glory for it. We'll praise your name, and we'll lift you up. And so Lord, I'm just asking, uh, Lord, that if there's any among us that's backslidden, any that are lost and undone, any that maybe once walked with you and don't anymore, or maybe some that's just grown cold and not where they know they ought to be. Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they'd come back to you. Today would be the day that they would get saved. Today would be the day that they'd get things right with you before it's everlasting too late. And Lord, let me ask one more thing. I need your help here this morning. I can't preach without you, and I know that. I've got nothing to say lest you give it to me. So, Lord, I'm just praying that you clear my mind of everything. 
but your message, your thoughts, your words. God, that you'd forgive me of where I fall short. And Lord, that you would bless to hear this morning. Not only bless me, but bless each one that's here. I pray, Lord, that you'd place on my tongue the very words you'd have me to speak, Lord, and that it would just come uh, from you through my spirit to theirs. And God, that you would just, uh, Lord, that you would just anoint and use me one more time here this morning. And we'll be sure and give you every bit of the glory for it. God, we love you. We worship you. We praise your holy name. I ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. I want to preach to you this morning about Samson. Um, Really, all of the scriptures that I'm preaching on is chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16. Uh, I'm not obviously not going to read all of those chapters, uh, every word of all those chapters to you this morning, just simply because of how long it would take. But I will read a few choice verses to you as we go through, just to, to help illustrate the point that I'm trying to make. And so anyways, as we're looking at the life of Samson, um, I, 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 maybe I'll talk about it more as we go on, but I'd read behind a few commentators this week as I was studying and preparing, and I realized just how much I disagree with a lot of people about Samson. And so anyways, um, um, to me, when I look at Samson, I see a man greatly gifted by God. who for the most of his life, not every instance, but for the biggest part, really didn't use those gifts for God. Not like he could have. Not like he should have. You could look at it and say, miss potential. But really, to me, it seems worse than that. I look at Samson's life, and I see see a messed up life. I do. Um... You know, I kind of wanted to start this by saying, have you ever said to yourself, my life is just too good? I'm doing right, I'm living well, and just have too many blessings in my life. What I really need to do is turn my life into a real wreck. I'm talking one of them reality TV show, um, YouTube show, or um, I forget what even the latest TikTok or whatever type messes. Well, I'll tell you what. I can take the life of Samson and I can show you just exactly how to do it this morning. Okay? So let's, let's go through a biblical example of how to take a life One that I read to you this morning, right, that in verse 24 it says, and the woman talking about Samson's mother, right, Samson's mother had been barren, and then God supernaturally caused her to conceive, bear a son, and called his name Samson, and the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. Okay, so a blessed life, a life that's already from the time of a young child, right? God has got a plan and a purpose for him, and God is blessing his life. So let me show you how to take a, an example of a blessed life, right? A life that's been blessed for, of God from before Samson could even remember it. How to take that and really mess it up. Well, I'll tell you step number one. 
Step number one is to get fooling around with dating and maybe even eventually marrying an unbeliever. Look at, look at chapter 14 and verse 1. And Samson went down to Tenema and saw a woman in Tenema of the daughter of the Philistines. And he came up and told his father and his mother and said, I have seen a woman in Timena, Timotha, uh, of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore get her for me to wife. Then his father and mother said unto him, Is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren or among all my people that thou goest to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? Then Samson said unto his father, Get her for me, for she pleaseth me well. So here, here, is, here is Samson. There are so many things in this. First of all, um, he's basing his choices on looks. He's found a gal that is just, he thinks she's just something else, right? Uh, she's real cute, she's real good looking, she's hot stuff, whatever you want to say there, right? She is appealing to his flesh, right? And so he goes down among, it says, the daughters of the Philistines, right? The, Israel had specifically been told not to marry of the foreign people around them because it would lead them into idolatry. We see that over and over. The perfect example is probably Solomon, right? The wisest man to have ever lived and his foreign wives still cause his heart to depart from God and to chase after these foreign idols. We see, if you look, the very reason that God gives that the people are carried off into, uh, into exile in Babylon is because of their uh, chasing after foreign wines. And of course, it's just, it's a ripple effect from there, right? There's a lot of other things that go along with that. And next thing they know, God knows, you know, what will be the result of that, right? Is they'll be raising ungodly children and they'll be worshiping false gods and idols. And they'll be an ungodly people. And so anyways, we see him. I, I could almost preach a sermon on how to mess up your children. How to mess up your children is give them everything they want. It almost seems like Samson has that kind of attitude, right? He demanded of his father, go get her for me. And his dad, you know, his mom and dad, they put up some protests. But he says, I want her. Go get her. And they do it. And they do it, right? If you go on and read in chapter 14, they do it. Look, this girl... Might have been really cute. She might have been really special. She might have even been really nice. But he shouldn't have got involved with her. You shouldn't get involved with somebody who is not a, a, a Christian. I'm just going to right out and say it, right? You're, you're playing a little bit with fire when you do that, right? Their goals are different. Their thinking is different. Yes, I know a few people who has who has did that, and some of them uh, has eventually got saved and everything turned out all right, but I'm telling you that is the exception. That is the minority, right? For most, it doesn't work out uh, so, so good, right? Many more cannot say that, right? People are drawn away from God usually, not even going to church anymore. And their kids grow up in godless 
homes fighting and self-centered. That's why it says in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians 6.14 it says, Be ye not unequally yoked with unbelievers, right? For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? So, for those of you, I start to say young people, but anybody single, if you want to know step one on really messing up your life, get together with somebody who is not a Christian. Somebody who don't have the same values and the same faith and the same beliefs that you do. Somebody that has a totally uh, different set. And you'll follow right along in Samson's example here. And, and you're on track, not guaranteed yet, but you're on track to make a real mess out of your life. Let's go on a little bit farther and let's look at the next thing that we see here, right? Right, Samson's father and, and mother, finally, I mean, it doesn't say, we don't have all the details here, but they go and set this thing up and arrange this, right? And it's, it's going along and then we get verse 10 here. So his father went down unto the woman and Samson made there a feast for so used, um, for so used the young men to do. Right? That, that was the custom uh, of the Philistines in that time. All right? Now, I realize there's a big mar- uh, you know, marriage ceremony and festival and stuff that the Israelites did, but the, the Philistines were known for theirs to be just a little bit wilder. So let me say it this way. You want to make a mess out of your life? Start drinking and partying. That's what's happening here. Right? That's what this is. This is a seven-day drunk bash is what this is. Right? Uh, This is not the Hebrew feast that took place in the home of the father. Right? This was not their tradition. Right? This was the type of feast that the Philistines were known uh, for being um, pretty wild. I'll just leave it there. I'll just say it it as that. You can look it up. There's a lot of archaeological evidence leading to that or telling us about that also. But anyways, this is is the kind of uh, of deal that this was, right? This is what this was, was set up. Let me tell you, it is a recipe for disaster every single time. You know, um... As we look through the life of, of Samson, Samson was a Nazarite. He was a Nazarite from, the, from conception. He was a Nazarite. Nazarite was a special vow that was taken, right? Somebody is set apart especially for God, and they are holy. There's just a few Nazarites that's actually mentioned in the Scripture. There's three things they were specifically forbidden from doing, right? One of them was was partaking of anything, any fruit of the vine, right? They weren't to drink any kind, anything made from, from grapes, any kind of wine, any kind of hard drink, any kind of liquor, any kind. They were absolutely not one drop was to touch their lips. They weren't to touch anything unclean. If you read the story of Samson, right, uh, you, you see there's a problem there, right? They also weren't to cut their hair as an outward sign. And, of course, we know when we get on over towards the end of this, into chapter 16, we see that Samson violates all three of those. All three of those. Listen. I started out about the drinking and the partying. All it'll do is dull your senses, cloud your judgment, and make you do stupid things. That's what happened here with Samson. Read that. Go on this afternoon if you don't remember, not familiar, right? There's a lot of stupid stuff that happens there. And I'm sure the drinking played a part in it. Let me throw something else out there to you. Look at verse 12 and 13. You want to know how to mess up your life? And Samson said unto them, 
I will not put forth, excuse me, I will now put forth a riddle unto you. If ye can certainly declare it me within the seven days of the feast, find it and find it out, then I will give you 30 sheets and 30 changes of garments. And if ye cannot declare it me, then shall ye give me 30 sheets and 30 chains of garments. And they said unto him, Put forth thy riddle, that we may hear it. Now, a couple things. First of all, when you look at this and you read this, some people misunderstand in verse 4 where it talks about his father and mother didn't realize what the Lord was doing and going to do. Don't mistake that to mean that God is blessing all of this that is taking place here and what is going on. Actually, God is doing something, he's accomplishing his purpose in spite of all the foolish and silly and disobedient and rebellious things that Samson is doing. And even his parents and in, in, into arranging this and going along with this. And so God is so God's taking a bad situation and making some good come out of that. Now, when we get to what I've just read to you in verse 12 and 13, I've said we see some examples of how to mess up your life, right? And I told you to get involved uh, with, a, you know, unequally yoked with an unbeliever. I told you, get st- why don't you go ahead and start drinking and partying? And then the next thing here is, why don't you go ahead and start gambling if you're really wanting to mess up your life, right? Uh, you, you could sit there and say, well, what is the harm, right? What is the, what is the harm, right? I, I see so many, and I even... Know of Christians who sneak off and they'll go to the to to the casinos right down in Oklahoma or or I used to know people that would like to go to the one over there and um, Tupelo I think is where it was or somewhere over in there in Mississippi but anyways they you know they think oh what is the harm in it right there's ones that'll be like what is the harm in just a little a little lottery ticket or a little scratch off or, or or something like that listen to me. There's nothing good that's going to come out of it. There's nothing that is going to glorify God. If you go through and you read this, Samson's little little gambling here that he's starting with, it it, it, it was instrumental in wrecking his already messed up marriage before it even started. How many marriages you reckon has been ruined? because of gambling and problems with gambling. It resulted in this case, if you sit here and read chapter 14, it resulted in the death of 30 men. 30 men get killed, end up getting killed, because this whole deal goes sideways. Huh, never heard any stories of anything like that, right? Somebody getting involved in gambling and, and those kinds of rings and in our day and age and things going, uh, going sideways and somebody getting upset and somebody getting vengeful and next thing you know, somebody's dead. Families have been wrecked because of it. Children literally, right here in Mountain Grove, Missouri, have gone cold and hungry because of it. As Christians, we're called to be wise stewards. Wise stewards of what the Lord gives us. And gambling is not wise. 
It's stupid. Bottom line, it is. It is not a wise move. God, God has blessed you, and he has given you something, and he has made you a steward over it. It's his. But you are a steward over it. You're to manage it, right? And you get the, you, you benefit from it, right? You get blessings because of it and from it. Gambling is the opposite of being the wise steward. It's being the foolish steward. So you want to know how to mess up your life? Get hooked up with an unbeliever. Start drinking. Start the, that, the party scene, that whole life. Start gambling. And I'll give you another one. Have a vengeful spirit. Have a vengeful spirit. Look at, ver- look at chapter 15, verse 1. But it came to pass within a while after, in the time of the wheat harvest, that Samson visited his wife with a kid. And he said, I will go in to my wife into the chamber. But her father would not suffer him to go in. Now, in case you're not familiar with this, so you're not just left out in the dark on this deal, what had happened was this, this was the marriage, the woman that his father had arranged and set up for him, the Philistine woman that he should have been marrying to begin with, right? And then the boys of, of her town that was part of the wedding party, uh, right? They were, um, uh, they were the ones that got her to... Uh, revealed to Samson what the answer to his riddle was, which made Samson mad, right? Made him furious, right? Caused him to kill the 30 Philistines. And then he went huff and puffing back off and pouting at, back to mom and dad's house, right? He stormed out on the whole thing. And so here he is after a little time. He's cooled off. You know that he knows that he's done wrong because he's bringing a, a peace offering with him when he comes back, right? This kid that's a baby goat, you know, a young goat, he's bringing a peace offering back with him. And her father said, verse 2, I verily thought that thou hadst utterly hated her. Therefore I gave her to thy companion. Is not her younger sister fairer than she? Take her, I pray thee, instead of her. What her dad is saying, he, what I guess is kind of his father-in-law, is he was saying, well, the way that you left here, I didn't think you wanted anything to do with her. So she married the best man of your, from your wedding, right? The guy that was or is supposed to be your best man. That's the companion he's talking about here. She's, I give her to him. She's his wife now. He said, I'll tell you what, here's her little sister. She's prettier than her anyways. Why don't you take her instead? Verse 3, And Samson said concerning them, Now shall I be more blameless than the Philistines, though I do them a displeasure. What, what Samson is saying is, Hey, you, uh, you really made me mad now. Now it's not, what I'm getting ready to do is not my fault, it's your fault. That's what he's saying. Here's a man, what we see here is we see a man who is ruled by his emotions. Verse 4, And Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took firebrands then turned tail to tail and put a firebrand in the midst between two tails. And when they had set the brands on fire, he let them go into the standing corn of the Philistines and burn up both the shocks and also the standing corn with the vineyards and olives. And the Philistines said, Who hath done this? And they answered, Samson, the son-in-law of the Temanite because he had taken his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistines come up and burnt her and her father with fire. And Samson said unto them, Though ye have done this, yet will I be avenged of you. And after that I will cease. 
and he smote them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. And he went down and dwelt in the top of the rock. Here is a man, as I already said, who is ruled by his emotions. After the, the incident where he lost the bet and he stormed off for a long while, right? Now we have that his wife's been given to someone else. He goes, and so he, when he finds out he's so upset, he goes and says he catches 300 foxes, right? And he ties his firebrand between their tails, right? Sets it on fire, turns them loose, and of course they're going to take off running like the devil, and they run through and they catch all of the crop fields of the Philistines, at least in that area, on fire, burn the whole countryside down. Obviously, that's cause, going to cause all kinds of problems. There's going to be all kinds of people who are going to be fit to be tied over that, fighting mad, right? And so anyway, so they start finding out, start asking what in the world has happened, what caused this, who did this, why did they do this? When they find out it's Samson, they're all afraid of Samson, right? They know, you know, uh, what kind of a man of strength that he is. And so they want to know why that he did it. And when they find out why he did it, they went down and the woman that was supposed to be Samson's wife and her father, they burned them both alive. They killed them both. They burned them to death. I think about this and I think about everything that happens here. And I, I told you a while ago that I read several commentators um, this week as I was studying this. And I said, I just, I don't agree with them, right? Usually I have a thought, I have an idea, uh, I'll search and I'll study and I'll search the scriptures and and then my last thing I'll do is I got a few commentaries I look at, and I usually turn to them, and and it and usually at least not all of them, but at least one or some of them will kind of back up, confirm what I'm saying. That gives me a little more reassurance that I'm not off in crazy land, right? That I'm actually kind of on track here. And so, anyways, um, I discovered that there was there was quite a few. Most I won't say all, but for the most part, it was like they were going out of their way to justify everything that Samson's doing, every step of the way, you know, as they're going through it. Um, it almost was like it was, yeah, it's what I would believe if your mom wrote it about you. You know what I'm saying? Right? It, it, your mom's the one that's always like, you never done anything wrong. Your mom's the one who's always like, well, but he had a really good reason. He had really good excuse. I am fairly convinced most of them was written by Samson's mom and they were going uh, out of their way uh, to justify everything they did and I'm thinking your boy just killed a thousand people with the jaw of an ass. Like, what kind of boy is he now? You know? Uh, he's a mess. He's a mess. And you look through his life and you can see one thing after another. Uh, you know, anyone on their own might not have been near as bad. But they just keep piling up, one after another after another. Do you see the character? Do you see the type of person? Do you see the one mistake after another uh, that he is making here, right? You can see the root of all of it is it's about him. Right? We, we see the flesh, right? We see him feeding the flesh 
through there over and over. I almost see a picture, and I'm afraid I'm going a little too far with this, but I almost see a picture of a child, right, who has been, uh, his parents were unable to conceive, and so now that they finally have this child who's a miracle, and a miracle child, I kind of get the feeling that maybe growing up, as far as they were concerned, he never done no wrong, and they might have helped build the monster as they go along, but however it come about, we definitely have one at this point. I look at this area here with this vengeful spirit. A man ruled by his emotions. And, and for me, honestly, this is a little bit of a tricky one. I, I struggle with this sometimes, right? Uh, I, I take things, you know, as personal attacks that I probably shouldn't. Uh, things When things are directed at me, my natural reaction is to say something back or to lash out or to retaliate in some way, right? But the truth is we cannot be ruled by our emotions, right? Uh, being ruled by our emotions, it can be just as intoxicating as alcohol and drugs and that kind of stuff, right? And so we must maintain control of our actions and our reactions because if we don't, it is going to lead to tragedy. And as believers, we've got to remember it is not our place to seek vengeance, right? Even go forward and look at the political climate that we live in today and the climate that our culture and our society is in. And it's just like tits for tat, right? One side done one thing and so the other side is going to match it or bring it up one, right? I mean, that's just, that's just you know, it's vengeful. It is a vengeful spirit and nothing good is going to come out of it. And as Christians, we are not a cannot behave that way and participate in that. Romans 12, 19 says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. That takes faith to step back and let God handle it. That takes faith. It doesn't take faith to get involved yourself and to make things even yourself. To settle the score. To have a vengeful spirit. Listen to me. Nothing good will come out of it. Let me show you one more thing in Samson's life. You want to know how to really mess up your life? I told you to get involved, right, romantically involved, someone who's not a believer. Um, take up drinking and partying and that kind of lifestyle, you know. And then, next thing you know, maybe you're at a casino Maybe you got a problem with scratch off. I don't know. We, we could just go on down the list, but you're throwing a bunch of money away. Then you have a vengeful spirit. Somebody did you wrong. You're going to settle the score. You're going to get even. You're, you're, you know, the the fight that's going on and uh, you know in our nation right now. You're going to be the one who settles the score on it all. No, you're not. You're not going to even help. You know what will fix things? Jesus. Jesus, that's the answer, right? You, you want to make a difference? Take them the gospel. Share the good news of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to let you in on a little something. Most are going to reject. Not all are going to accept. 
But for any that do accept, the angels in heaven are going to rejoice when they do. And there is a solution that is coming. There is a fix that is going to, it is going to get fixed. But that's going to happen when Jesus comes back. When the Lord comes back, He is going to set things right. That is when, you want to know, you want to understand what the thousand years is all about, the millennium and all that. It is about a perfect government and a perfect rule. When Christ Himself will sit on the throne, there on the mount, in Israel and will rule the earth from there. That's when things will be fixed. Between now and then, stay out of that nonsense. You want to know how to screw up your life? That kind of stuff, you'll stay mad all the time if you're not careful. Uh, so let me give you one more here. I want to look at uh, chapter 16. Then went Samson to Gaza and saw there a harlot and went in unto her. And it was told the Gazites, saying, Samson has come hither. And they compassed him in, and laid wait for him all night in the gate of the city, and were quiet all the night, saying, In the morning, when it is day, we shall kill him. And Samson lay till midnight, and arose at midnight, and took the doors of the gate of the city. And the two posts, and went away with them, bar and all, and put them upon the shoulders and carried them up to the top of the hill that is before Hebron. And it came to pass afterward that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came unto her and said unto her, Entice him, and see wherein his strength lieth. And by what means he may prevail against him. We may prevail against him. And we may bind him to afflict him. And we will give every one of and we will give every one of us eleven hundred pieces of silver. You want to know how to mess up your life? Get involved with prostitutes. Get involved with people who lack convictions and who lack morals. Get involved with wicked, evil people, right? Get involved with the wrong kind of people. In any way, in any aspect in your life, right? Whether it's in business, whether it's in your personal life, your friends, uh, whatever. I don't care if they're your family members. You want to mess up your life? Get involved with those kind of people, right? I didn't read all of what happened here. Uh, I can tell you the rest of what happened here, though, right? We've got, we've got, um, uh, Samson not being able to control himself, not being able to control his urges and his emotions. And so he goes down and he visits a prostitute, right, in Gaza, right? Gaza, if you look at Philistine, look at the five principal cities of, uh, of Philistine, Gaza is the one that's the farthest away from Israel. It's the one that's down there by Egypt. I think it's kind of representing how far at this point in his life Samson has gotten away from God. And so there he is down there visiting a prostitute. Whenever he gets caught, of course, he, you know, rips out the, the gates of the city and carries them all the way to the hill over there by Hebron, which was kind of a task. It scared them to death. They knew that his strength was, was beyond normal human strength. And so anyways, when they find out that he has gotten tangled up and fell in love with this unscrupulous woman by the name of Delilah, they decide that they, that they will use her. They will use her to get to him. They offer her, if I read that right, they, they offer her 1,100 pieces of silver apiece. Each one of them giving her 1,100 pieces of silver. That is an 
astronomical amount of money that they offer her. And she sells him out. She sells him out. Right? They offer Delilah money. Uh, there, if you read this, there is no mention of a negotiation, of an argument. There is no mention on her part that she's like, oh, I love him and I can't do that, or he's really sweet, he's really nice to me, I, I, I would hate to hurt him or do that too. No, there's no mention of anything like that. She's like, yeah, I'll do it for that. That sounds good to me. And so there's no mention whatsoever. And so as we looked at this account, not, she not only helped gather the information, but she allowed people to hide in her bedroom while she worked on him. She was a good gal, wasn't she? I'm telling you, it's never a good idea to get involved with wicked people. Either on a personal level or a business or whatever. Whether it's at work, it doesn't matter. It is not a good idea. Stay away from them. And I look at this and I, here's what I think. I think Samson was dumb. Samson was dumb. Delilah betrayed him time after time, right? Three times we go through this and he doesn't tell her the truth, right? And, and all three times, over and over, and he just comes back for more. And she kept on until she finally wore him down. She nagged him and nagged him and nagged him until she finally wore him down. And the result of that is he's let, let off blind and enslaved, Right? Whenever she finally finds out the secret is his hair, cuts his hair, which that's the third thing, that's the final thing of his Nazarite vow to be, um, to be violated, right? It shows how little he thought of all of it that he even told her that. And she cuts off his hair. He loses his strength. She calls in the Philistines. They bind him and gouge out his eyes and carry him off as a slave, right? As someone to use for their own personal amusement, right? If you trust in man, you will get hurt. That's what happened there with Samson. Do not trust in the wicked. They will let you down and hurt you every single time. They will lie to your face over and over and over again. And when we look at this and we look at the story of Samson's life and for all of the apologists out there of Samson, I'm telling you right now, I think you're making a mistake apologizing and trying to make excuses for his behavior. And I look at this and somehow he ended up in, in Hebrews chapter 11 in the hall of faith there. And so it's only in the end, right? It's only after having everything being taken away from him. Right? Everything is taken away from Samson. His pride, his sight, his strength, his freedom. He has lost everything that he is finally willing to give his life to God. And actually, if you go and read in chapter 16 and you read exactly what he says and the way he says it, um, I'm not very comfortable with it. I really don't like the way that he says what he says. But, I mean, God obviously is okay with it, so I'm willing to accept that at that. But I think about this, and I think it takes him losing everything and coming to the end of his life. And how sad it is that so many times we too have to lose everything before we're willing to give our lives to the Lord. So sad. I see so many people, right, born blessed. And they squander it all away. Throw it all away. And have to come to the point that they're like Samson. 
They got nothing. Literally nothing. I, uh, I grew up in Sparta. Graduated from high school there in Sparta. There was a man. Everybody around town knew him. He, he was a town drunk, period. Uh, the, the guy that owned the liquor store there and owned the liquor store in Sparta, is the only liquor store in Sparta, and owned it, um, well, more than all of my life. Owned it for years and years and years and years. Uh, he also had a uh, big, big farm. Actually, had several farms around town there. And uh, anyways, this uh, Bosco, the, the town drunk, his name was Bosco. Everybody in Sparta, probably go there today even, people that's lived there for years. If you mention Bosco's name, they're like, oh, yeah, I know Bosco. Or knew Bosco. But, I mean, he was, I mean, it was no secret. I mean, he was the town drunk. Absolutely. And what he would do is, is he had a, Harold Brown, who owned the liquor store, he had kind of a shack out back there. And he let Bosco live back there. And uh, basically traded booze to Bosco for work on his farm. I mean, Bosco, you know, took care of his cows and, and broke, you know, ice and done all that kind of stuff, you know, put up hay, you name it, you know. When I was a kid, he was an old man then, and he worked, you know, worked hard and done all that, you know. And uh, anyways, Harold, you know, traded, traded his labor out in booze. That's all Bosco wanted. Didn't care about anything else. Didn't care about clean clothes. Didn't care about nothing. When I was a teenager, I worked there at the feed store. I was talking to somebody, and I don't know how it came up. But they said, you know, Bosco's not always been like he is right now. He said, Bosco was actually born into a family. He was the only child. He named Bosco's parents' names. I don't even remember now. But he said they had a, they had a farm that was the envy of most people around here. He said they had a good river bottom farm, had a lot of land, good cattle, nice house, you know, for the time, right? So they passed away. Bosco inherited everything. Bosco was set up. Bosco was made. So Bosco drunk that farm away. One cow at a time, one field at a time. Drank every last bit of it away. Every last bit of it. Why is it? And when I knew him, when I saw him, and I remember when Bosco was still a teenager, maybe me and Jennifer was married when he finally when he passed away. Literally in a ditch. Literally with nothing. Why is it? Why is it that we have got to get all the way to the bottom? Just like Samson. You know, some people say that if you're not doing the kinds of things that I talked about here, that you're not really living life, right? If you're not, if you're not enjoying yourself and, and going out and, and running around with all kinds of worldly people and doing worldly things and worldly amusements, then you're not living. You're not really having fun. Let me tell you, I've been down that road. And it's not life. It's not. I'll tell you what it is. It's death. It is a slow, painful, lonely death. Right? That's exactly what Bosco experienced in his life. That's what Samson experienced in his life. Look at even how he died, right? He died in a pile of, of, of enemy Philistine bodies all around him and on him in a pile of rubble. It's a slow, painful, lonely death. 
Listen, I still got the scars on my mind from my time in the world, and those things don't just disappear. And listen, if you want a wrecked life, then all you got to do is do these things that I talked about here this morning. That's it. Follow Samson's example, and I promise you it will take you to the same place that it took him. But if you want real life, then I'm telling you, avoid these things at all costs. Avoid these things at all costs. And listen to me. It is not losing out on life. Avoiding these things is not missing out on, on the good things that life has to offer. Believers, if you are dabbling in any of these, it's time to stop. It's time to put them away. If, and if you don't have Christ, then listen to me. You do not have life. And no amount of so-called fun times will ever fill that void. Right? There is a void that only Jesus Christ can, uh, can fill. And people that are going out and they're partying and they're chasing these things, right? And they're trying to live this life. This life of rebellion is what it is. They're trying to vo- fill that emptiness inside of them. But they will never, ever, not in a lifetime, not in a lifetime of this sensual nonsense, will they ever fill the void that it only can be filled. By Jesus Christ. You need to receive forgiveness for sin. You need redemption from the punishment, from the wrath of God. And the only way is through Jesus Christ. There is no other way. Jennifer comes for a song of invitation. I don't know your heart. I don't know the circumstances of your life. I don't know what may be going on. But as she begins to play, I'm going to ask all of you if you would stand. And I'm going to open the altar and I'm going to give you an opportunity to come. If the Spirit of God is dealing with you, if He is drawing you, would you come tonight or this morning? Uh, if you've got a burden, would you come this morning? Whatever the need is. Maybe there's somebody on your heart, right? Maybe God has burdened you with somebody you need to be praying for. Would you come and pray for them? Right? Maybe God has put on, put on you that you need to go talk to somebody. I'm going to ask, would you come and pray that God would give you the strength and the boldness and open the door? And then when you get up, would you put feet to those prayers and go do that? Right? Would we be good witness to Christ or for Christ? Right? Would we, would we seek God for a heart to, uh, to share the gospel, the good news, with everyone that we have opportunity to? Uh, maybe you've got a burden. Would you come? Whatever it is. Maybe God's dealing with you about some things in your own life. Do not miss this opportunity. Don't walk out of here. I wouldn't walk, I wouldn't leave these doors for everything the world's got to offer and not know beyond 100%, beyond a shadow of a doubt that my soul is well with the Lord, that everything is right, that if I was to die today, that I would spend an eternity with Him in glory forever in heaven. Would you come? Would you come?